coming up on The Exam Room. I felt like every workout I was like ready to go. And before that, it was like, oh, maybe the second workout or third workout, I'd be like, all right, this is enough. But then after a while, I really started noticing strength gains, which I wasn't expecting at all. And I was switching over. I had been a road, a professional road cyclist for 10 years. So a much more lithe, you know, kind of slender frame. So I had a lot of glute and hamstring and quad muscle that I needed to put on. And so when I was eating animals, we were working at about uh, 300 pounds times 30 reps times five sets. And just before Olympic Games, when I started tapering down, I was up to 585 pounds times 60 reps times six sets. Now, we'll never know if I was going to be able to do that on animal foods because I get that all the time. Correct. We won't know. But the point is, I did it on plants. So, strength. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Tucson, Arizona, Dearborn, Michigan, and Paris, France, where the next Olympic Games will be held paramountly important for the purposes of today's conversation. But wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 71 of season six, number 467 overall. Hey athletes, do you want to get an edge on the competition? Well, true, you can outwork them in training, but what about out eating them in the kitchen? That's what we're going to be talking about on the program today, giving your performance a boost by focusing on your diet. Specifically, we're going to be diving into sports nutrition science and injury prevention, recovery time, getting enough protein, enhanced oxygen use, and building muscles without meat, plus anti inflammatory effects of food and making sure that you're getting all the macro and micronutrients you need to be on top of your game. All of those reasons are why thousands and thousands of athletes around the world are now turning to a plant-based diet to take their game to the next level. And joining us today are two women who are no stranger to dominating the competition with diet. Dotsie Bausch, Olympic cyclist who left her competitors in the dust, many of them so much younger than she was en route to capturing a silver medal at the London Games. And for the first time ever on the show, Nancy Guest, P. HD, a registered dietitian who has been working in the nutrition field for more than two decades with some top athletes from the NBA, the NHL, the UFC, and the Canadian National Olympic teams, just to name a few. Her resume is pure gold, and I am thrilled that she is here with us today. And together, Dr. Guest and Dotsie are co-authors of a new book called Let the Plant-Based Games Begin, Optimizing Athletic Performance with Plant-Based Nutrition. And they're here today to take a closer look under the hood about taking your performance to the next level, beginning with what's on your plate. So let's get into it from the exam room live this week. Here now, Dotsie Bausch and Dr. Nancy Guest. It is so good to see you both. Thanks for making the time. Hi there. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Dotsie. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You are just a bundle of energy. I knew that from the second you logged on to do this interview, girl. How many cups of coffee have you had this morning? What? No, it's it's the vegan produce, uh, Chuck. <laughs> it's me going out, literally uh, picking blueberries uh, out, out on my farm that are grown uh, without any animal byproducts and without any chemicals. So we're, Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And I have that. to ship some out to Dotsie. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that, the the veganic farming practices here in a little while. But let's start with the topic of the day, and that is plant-based athletic nutrition. Um, there's a whole huge science behind this, Dr. Guest. In terms of uh, 
athletes' performance on the field, in the arena, whatever sport it is they're participating in, what is the correlation between what they're eating and how they're able to perform on competition day? Oh, there's a very strong correlation. And uh, I think one of the most important uh, factors that we need to think about when it comes to diet is we now have decades of evidence uh, in the field as well as in in the research lab uh, looking at diets between those that are eating mostly plant-based, entirely plant-based, or omnivores that are including animal products. And we're really not seeing a difference. And I think uh, that's great news for uh, all the reasons that we do want to eat plant-based. And, uh, and then to top it off, of course, uh, we do have some benefits. So we know across the board that what you eat is going to help you perform better, uh, So what we would say acutely. So if I have enough energy today, right now, in the next two hours, my performance is going to be better uh, if I, as opposed to if I did not eat properly and I don't have fuel stores. A plant-based diet really enhances that ability because plants, of course, are a source of carbohydrates and the muscles use carbohydrates. They use fat to a smaller degree and they're not using protein. So if we have a plant-based diet, we're optimizing uh, our ability to fuel and to perform better. Now, when it comes to protein, of course, you need adequate protein, but where it comes from, again, we find out in the field and in the research, it doesn't matter whether it comes from a plant or an animal. The body requires a certain profile of amino acids, and we can derive that from plants or animals. So why not choose plants? And uh, you just want to make sure you're getting adequate amounts, but it's really easy. We have so many resources these days, uh, online and in-person free resources uh, to help athletes construct their diets that's going to ensure that they're having the recovery and the performance. And again, entirely from plants if they choose so for the animals, the people and the planets. So we uh, we have our P3, planet, pets and people. The trifecta, as I would say. Um, but let, let me ask you this. I mean, you, you phrase that interestingly. It doesn't matter whether it comes from an animal or from a plant, but what are the gains specifically a person gets from getting that plant-based protein, Dr. Guest, as compared to eating the lean chicken breast or that lean cut of steak that so many athletes for generations have really gravitated toward to get their protein? The primary benefit uh, would be uh, feeding your microbiome and having a healthy microbiome actually has effects uh, all throughout our body. So we know there are cognitive effects, there are effects with leanness, with body fatness, uh, with our ability to uh, transport nutrients around the body, so our circulation, our gut health. So remember, if you are not absorbing nutrients adequately or you have a gut that acts up, this dramatically impacts performance. And this can uh, cause an athlete not to be able to take part in their competition. So if you're having... Uh, extreme uh, cramping or diarrhea or uh, just any kind of uh, negative uh, GI gastrointestinal symptoms, this can be really be a, a deal breaker for your sport. The microbiome protects the gut and the number one source of nutrients for the microbiome come from plants. The second I would say would be antioxidants. We don't find antioxidants in animal-based foods. So we are uh, benefiting from these phyto or plant chemicals, and these are having very powerful effects of neutralizing uh, something we call free radicals, which are harmful molecules that are produced during exercise. So it's unavoidable that we produce these free radicals, but what plants do with their antioxidant power is they neutralize them. So they're not gonna harm us, cause premature fatigue, cause our, our muscle uh, to be damaged, and uh, they're also going to provide anti-inflammatory effects. So we know we can't avoid the, the uh, stress from the, from the uh, free radicals. We know we can't avoid in inflammation from training hard, but we, through plants, can, uh, we can mitigate those negative effects. So the anti-inflammatory effects would be a uh, part of the, the antioxidants as well and the, and the blood flow. So there's really a lot of things that plants offer. Um, and if you, if you sit down to your meal, uh, you, you have a choice of eating 50,000 edible plants that we find here on earth versus 
maybe eight to 10 animal proteins, which are the same ones recycled that people eat over and over. So the variety in your diet is coming from plants. And remember, every plant has a unique profile of nutrients. And Dotsie, of those 50,000, what are some of the best ones that you would recommend to your fellow athletes to make sure that they are getting that adequate amount of protein, which is still a huge concern for a lot of people, despite the emerging research that continues to say, well, look, protein's really not that big of a deal. But still, what are the ones that Dotsie's turning toward? Yeah. Well, I have to add add this in and, and, and Nancy may be able to answer a question on it as well. Um, but something that I noticed almost immediately was it was it was better digestion uh, when I switched to plants from eating animals. There was almost a, a, a lightness in my uh, my gut and and my energy. And as a track cyclist, we trained uh, train three times a day. So you're really it's eat, train, recover, eat, train, recover. So the ability for to, for you to be able to have that readiness to go again, go again, go again, because it's literally, you know, morning, noon, and night. That was what was just amazing to me. I just never felt lethargic or heavy or like I wanted to take a nap after I, I ate food. And I always did when, when I was eating animals. So that I, I would love to hear Nancy kind of pinpoint why that that lightness happens and that digestion improves and maybe some of it's a microbiome. But when I switched over, I was really only eating probably three animals. I was eating chicken, turkey, and and some beef. I mean, there was like no variety. I didn't eat any of the other animals. It just kind of, those were the go-tos. Uh, that's what I grew up on. So when I switched over, I started leaning pretty immediately into legumes, which I liked before. So I will say there wasn't a transition with uh, all of a sudden putting so much more fiber in my body. It was I was eating a lot of the legumes before. Um, lentil beans uh, are the only food that I know of on earth, uh, Nancy, that have a zero insulin spike. So I would eat, and beans have very low, but, yeah. but lentils are, are zero, I believe. Um, And those were a fuel that I would eat like three times a day. Like I would just keep them in the containers and uh, just, you know, three or four bites sometimes just as I was going along, because you really had to keep, you had to have sugar in between workouts, right? Like you had to have glycogen and and to restore and replenish and put back in. But sometimes that would make me feel a little kind of shaky. And I'd power some lentil beans down and it was like, ah, and I had energy and uh, I didn't feel, I didn't feel spiky, but tofu and tempeh and lentils. And I'm a big nuts and seeds girl, still am like all the variety of different seeds. I've got all of them on top of my salad all the time, like ground up flax seeds and hemp seeds and pumpkin seeds and sesame seeds and, and almonds and walnuts. I eat walnuts all the time. I think I I feel like they make me smarter, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) Uh, you're pretty smart, but look, let's let's see, let's kind of walk this through from a lay perspective, right? Somebody's mm-hmm. watching this right now, Dotsie, and they're thinking, okay, well, she transitioned over. She was just talking about only eating those three types of animal protein. But mm-hmm. what did you notice in terms of your muscle, your strength, your uh, performance overall when you did make that switch? Were there any temporary losses even, or did it immediately go into the gains range? Well, you know, Chuck, I remember literally thinking, oh my God, I hope I just stay the same. That was like my prayer <laughs> to whoever was listening <laughs> every day, right? When I made when I made the switch, because I wasn't entirely sure that it was going to be a performance gain. Um, I did it for for ethics. And so I just thought, I just, oh, God, please let me stay the same because I was a couple years out from Olympics. I hadn't made the team yet. So, you know, I, I was still, you know, vying for that spot. and. The very first thing I noticed, which was like two weeks in, was how I felt in the morning when I got up. I had always, and like you mentioned, I was a little bit older than the rest of the rest of the folks. I was 38 at the time, stood on the Olympic podium, just a few months shy of 40. And so recovery and repair was, you know, a little bit more challenging for me than it was for 25-year-old teammates. And so when I would wake up in the morning after switching over, it was, I used to feel this, uh, it, it, it's, it feels like an alcohol hangover, quite frankly, the athlete's hangover. And you, you get up in the morning and, and everything's sore and inflamed and you feel 
lethargic and cobwebby in your brain. And just, I we used to joke that I couldn't, st- you know, none of us, we couldn't start training till 10 because forget it at eight in the morning. You're like, where's the coffee? Like I can't even function yet. And that's the first thing I noticed was I was getting up and I was like, okay, this is weird. I felt just kind of Spritey and recovered, and I didn't feel inflamed or groggy or cobwebby. That was crazy because uh, I wasn't expecting well any changes at all. Really, I just wanted to stay the same. So that was the first thing. But as I went along, and and the rest of the changes um, took a while. It took a while to shift over. Um, but the thing that was the craziest to me, because I, I mean, I felt I had more energy and I felt um, more able and I was, I had, uh, just in between workouts, I felt like every workout I was ready to go. And before that it was like, Oh, maybe the second workout or third workout, I'd be like, all right, this is enough. But then after a while, I really started noticing strength gains, which I wasn't expecting at all. I mean, that was the part that it was like, okay, this is going to, this is going to be ugly. I hope I can just have enough strength. And I was switching over. I had been a road, a professional road cyclist for 10 years. So a much more Life, you know, kind of slender frame. So I had a lot of glute and hamstring um, and quad muscle that I needed to put on. I mean, I had a very specific program and I did a lot of work on the inverted leg sled uh, to, to do this. And so when I was, when I was eating animals, we were working at about uh, 300 pounds times 30 reps times five sets. And just before Olympic Games, when I started tapering down, I was up to 585 pounds times 60 reps times six sets. Now, we'll never know if I was going to be able to do that on animal foods because I get that all the time. Correct. We won't know. But the point is, I did it on plants. So, strength. Girl, you super strong. I'm not going to mess with you. Man. Well, I can't do that anymore. But I... <laughs> Yeah, but you could with a little more training. You I could, trained a yeah. lot. Yeah, that took a lot. It took a while to get there. Yep. Dr. Guest, let me let me pivot over to you. I want to. We have a couple of people right now who uh, were listening to Dotsie, and and they are curious about the recovery time that she was mentioning. She used the word sprightly in the morning, right? So no longer did she have to wait until ten to begin her training. What uh, physiologically, like, let's nerd out here. I mean, let's just dive right in. What is it about that plant-based diet that can really um, cut down on recovery time for athletes? Dotsie is not the first person who eats the plant-based diet who I've heard from who has shared a similar story. Mm. I, I think uh, it's something that I was referring to earlier, uh, which was the anti-inflammatory effects of plant-based diets. So, of course, we have these uh, phytochemicals or plant chemicals I was talking about earlier, and those are uh, related to the colors of plants. So, when you hear that you should eat a colorful diet, these are uh, all these nutrients that belong sort of in the blue category, the purple category, uh, the red, the green. So, having that rainbow is allowing you to enhance those antioxidant effects, which I referred to earlier. So those are reducing muscle damage. And that also reduces premature fatigue. And premature fatigue would also be part of that recovery if you're having multiple workouts, or if you're, let's say, on a three-hour bike ride, and you're having a rest for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you want to get back on and ride hard again, or you're doing an eight-hour hike. So we have a lot of non-athletes that are partaking in athletic activities. And so when you when you have these anti-inflammatory effects, remember, inflammation is causing you to lose some strength. It's causing you to lose some range of motion. Uh, You have that feeling of stiffness. And so you can't execute as much force in your muscles. And so this is going to result in poor performance the next time around, as long as you're recovering. So what we find in those that are having a lot of plants in their diet is that uh, they're feeling maybe uh, great 24 hours later or 36 hours later, whereas those that have a, a diet heavy in animal foods, they might not feel fully recovered for two or three days. And remember, as an athlete, if you're working out most days of the week, you don't have time to recover uh, to take two or three days because you've already had two more workouts in there. So then you're accumulating sort of that lack of recovery, which can be very exhausting. Um, And not only that, uh, animal foods are generally uh, 
for the most part, high in fat. Of course, you can have leaner versions, but one who's following a diet heavy in animal foods tends to follow a diet heavy in saturated fats. And this is that feeling of lethargy that uh, that Dotsie was referring to. So you feel heavy and, and sort of your muscles feel a little bit lazy and slow. So in plants, uh, we're generally having lower, lower fat or a different type of fat. Uh, so in your nuts and seeds, but generally your, your plant produce foods and a lot of your beans and lentils, they're virtually fat free. So they can get into your muscles, get into your bloodstream, provide those benefits without that heavy feeling and without that long period of digestion. So a high fat meal may, may take four or five hours to clear your, your small intestine, whereas plants uh, can do that in a much shorter time. So you feel the benefit of that energy. And one more thing I'll add is that we have something called uh, nitrates in plant foods. So many people may have he heard of beetroot juice or beetroot shots. And so what this does is it it uh, it um, opens up the blood vessels. So the technical term is called vasodilation. And what that means is that if your blood vessels are open uh, wider, you can actually transport more nutrients and especially more oxygen. So a diet high in plant foods, especially uh, things that are high in nitrates. And remember, these are natural nitrates, not the ones added to your bacon, which are not good for you. But these natural ones in things like um, arugula and spinach and beets, these are allowing you to have better oxygen efficiency or better oxygen economy, meaning that you can do an equal amount of work with less oxygen. Or conversely, you can do more work with the same amount of oxygen. And that's music to an athlete's ears, especially an endurance athlete. All right, let's yeah. see if we can give uh, somebody by the name, man, This, the, the, with this name, this is an instant ask. Grumpy <laughs> Vegan Granddad at 1224, you know when your name is Grumpy Vegan Granddad, your question's going to get answered. Uh, this is a question for you, Dr. Guest. I'm 56 and still training, but my age and my recovery time is extending. Is there any advice you have for foods or training that may reduce this? So you were kind of talking about beetroots there for a little bit, but are there some others that might help our grumpy friend get a little bit quicker recovery time? Well, um, it, it depends if it's more of a, an energy recovery or uh, muscle, um, it, muscle repair. Uh, so uh, I would say uh, probably getting uh, a meal in uh, sooner rather than later. So often, um, depending on, on your age or if you're the type of training, if your appetite's not there, you may wait too long and you're sort of missing that window of opportunity of replenishing your glycogen or your muscle fuel in an adequate amount of time. So I would sort of get on that smoothie right away uh, within an hour of training. Uh, making sure that perhaps you're choosing your your carbohydrate foods to be in the first 20 or 30 minutes, like having some fruit, uh, a banana, uh, or some uh, watermelon or dates, something quick to get into the muscles, and then focus on your protein maybe an hour later, or a mix of carbohydrates and and uh, protein, so a shake maybe an hour later. But perhaps get that muscle fuel replenished first to get that energy uh, back up and then work on the repair an hour or 90 minutes, prepare yourself a more wholesome meal. I have something to add to that. Yeah. It, it, because it, it, it was, it, what Nancy just said, grumpy guy, was a complete game changer for me. So right around a um, couple years before Olympics, a little bit more, uh, Stacy Sims and her colleagues, who who Nancy knows, um, came out with some research that really explained what you just said, Nancy. And I think so many athletes back then and still today don't realize that within the first thirty minutes, you've got to get back in glycogen. Right? Yeah. We were old school. It was just like the protein pack. I mean, I would literally yeah. eat like dead birds, yeah. right? Chicken breast, yeah. right after. And it's like. You've got to get the glycogen in and then within that hour to hour, 10 minutes or whatever, then start with the protein. So I just, I just wanted to kind of get you, a, give you a whoop whoop on saying that. that. Yeah, yeah, because it's still confusing. Athletes yeah. still think it's just protein. Like the yeah. second you come off the track or whatever your sport is. Yeah. Yeah, the muscles don't run on protein. Uh -uh. The muscles need the protein to repair, but um, it, it's really cannot be overstated that carbohydrates are an athlete's best friend. 
And your carbohydrates come from plants, not animals. There's no carbohydrates in animal foods. And so where's your fuel? Your fuel is in plants. But we, and we can also get protein from plants. So that's mm-hmm. really where plants offer us everything and animal foods don't. And I think that's just an important take home uh, point that, you know, we can, we can thrive better uh, with 100% plants than we could with 100% animals. Those are just not interchangeable. When you make a, a bold mm-hmm. statement like that and you're working with somebody who may be a fighter in the UFC or skates in the NHL or top level Olympic athlete, what is their first reaction if they're not already eating a plant-based diet, Dr. Guest? (laughs) Well, um, usually they're coming to me because they want to make the switch and they just want to make sure they don't lose performance. And, uh, and again, I'll say it again, we really see very little difference um, depending on sort of the nuances or the details of your diet. We don't see that, uh, you know, through the research that if you'd switch to plants, all of a sudden you have this huge spike in, in performance. And I don't want to mislead people into thinking, uh, you know, just, just, uh, uh, adding more plants all of a sudden, you know, provides these uh, extreme benefits. Um, there are definitely benefits and over long term, there are many benefits happening at cellular level. But I think uh, an important take home point is that for all the reasons that plants are are better for um, you know better for our environment, the the planet, climate change for animals. I mean, who wants to be hurting animals? And I I really uh, invite athletes to to make that switch, even just for a couple of weeks, see how they feel. So my consistent uh, feedback is either I feel better, or I actually I, I don't see a a decrease in my muscle performance or my repair, whereas I was very convinced if I took out my chicken breast or my waist shake that I would see uh, an impairment in my progress in my, you know, my muscle, my strength training. So I think that's what's important to me is that it doesn't have to be better. It just has to be equivalent because we know it's better in in dozens of other ways, uh, you know, as I mentioned. So yeah, but, but I'll just add one thing. But it, it, you're right, though. It is these power athletes that are worried that they're going to lose some power. But remember, power is coming from energy, right? So I need the energy to execute those moves. I don't skate down the rink in, you know, in five seconds with the protein in my muscles. It's, it's the glycogen and it's that ATP. So the currency that your muscle uses is glucose right? And it doesn't matter where that glucose came from. That's what your your muscles see as the energy source. And so we can do it indirectly from having to break down muscle protein by eating animal foods, or we can have a nice direct source by eating plant foods. So to be more efficient and to have a cleaner source of energy, we need those plant foods. And um, I have never... Uh, out of, I mean, I'm into the hundreds of athletes that follow a plant-based diet or have switched. I have not had any that that have decided to add back animal foods because they felt that their their health, their strength, or their performance in any way uh, was being impaired. And that's that's um that's pretty nice to be able to say that. Um, you know, I mean, there's I've had two female athletes that had some iron issues that were very tempted. Uh, to go the red meat route. Um, but when we look at the data, you know, red meat is not the solution. And we have plant foods that actually can provide more iron uh, than red meat. So even that was sort of squashed. So, um, yeah. I, w- I would love to ask you both about this. We've been talking about recovery time, but I know in my time covering sports before I started doing the exam room, you know, some of the stories that stuck with me the most are the guys in the locker, more the girls, who, you know, would battle back from injury, get there almost, and then have a setback. Or maybe they actually did make it back out onto the court or onto the field, and then they would get injured again and again. And then sometimes we also hear these stories about a team being, quote, snake-bitten with injuries. And Dotsie, I'll start with you. I know that this is something that you guys covered in the book as well. Injury prevention. How can a diet 
make a difference in making sure that the injuries are at least minimized or reduce the risk? What's the correlation there? Because I think a lot of people might think, well, what I'm eating isn't really going to make a difference in terms of whether or not I'm getting injured on the field. So what's the connection there? Yeah, I think a a big reason for so many injuries is the current inflammation uh, running throughout their body, which makes them a lot more susceptible to a variety of types of injuries, not all injuries. But, um, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to be able to produce more work as an athlete, as a, as a professional athlete. That that's that's really the game because the more work you can produce, and as you recover from that work, the better athlete you're going to be. The more output that you are going to deliver. And so, what I find with plants is, it, I, my sport is cycling, as you said, and uh, you know traditionally it has not been the cleanest sport in the world. And there's there's a lot of blood doping in cycling. People misunderstand uh, blood doping for a variety of different reasons. But, but I think a lot of people that, that are in the athlete space think that it's more, if you blood dope, then you can just, you know, sit on the couch. Those athletes are not blood doping and sit on the couch. They are blood doping so that they can do more work so that they can ride nine hours. Cause if you can, if you can recover from nine hours and be able to do it again, the next day, you're going to be uh, across that finish line first when, when, when the race comes, right? If you can handle that much work, but most of us, you, you know, you can't handle that much work and you, you work up to it, but I mean, it's an extraordinary amount. So what I have found with plants that it allows for more work to happen. Some of it is many of the reasons that Nancy had said, it's so rich in nutrients. So, so rich in recovery, the nitric oxide in vegetables, especially beets, like really opens up those pathways. And I was able to do more work. That was really one of the big things I noticed as I went along, like I could just keep doing more work. So plants are want to call them legal blood doping, I think. I think we can do that. Yeah, Nancy, kind of same question to you. I'll, I'll reframe it a little bit differently. Um, how much of injury prevention comes down to diet? And then how much of it also goes into regular training methods, getting stretched, staying hydrated, those types of things? One question to pose that's going to really uh, cover a lot of the answer. When do you make mistakes? When does anyone make mistakes, whether it's at work, whether you're an athlete, whether you're at the gym? Oh, you're tired. That's when the when mistakes come pressure. Exactly. Exactly. And it's no different um, when you need the fuel for your training. So whether it's a game, a competition, or your training, as soon as you're becoming tired, you're at risk of falling over on your ankle, of misstepping, of you know losing where the course is, what the play is. Um, you're not mm-hmm. in the best control of your body when you're tired. And I have seen this so consistently in athletes that are sort of, uh, you know, putting on the brakes, they're worried about body fat levels, and they don't want to have that extra carbohydrate or have that uh, extra uh, sport drink or, you know, having a couple dates, you know, towards the end of the training session, we need to keep that blood glucose glucose level uh, up, we need to keep those muscles fueled, you need focus. And also when you're developing skills, it's practice makes perfect. And when you're developing those skills, you want to do them precisely, accurately, efficiently, effectively, and you need your brain to focus. And so we're not only feeding the body, we're feeding the brain. And if you lose any of your neurological capacity uh, during training or competition, that's when you're going to misstep and have an injury uh, occur. So I feel that plants are really uh, answering that question as well. How can I keep my fuel levels up? And uh, so, you know, with regard to training and uh, uh, the type of training, that's also key. But you're only as good as how much focus you have and how much energy your muscles physically have. So that's where it comes back to nutrition. It doesn't matter if my coach, my strength and conditioning coach has designed the best program for me. If I'm not fueled to execute that that program properly, uh, effectively, efficiently, and I'm unable to repeat that in every training session, um, I'm not going to be able to execute that or perform that. Uh, in the competition. So it really comes to down to giving your body the best tools uh, to perform. 
And it really comes down to, to adequate energy levels. And I think um, it's also underestimated the mental game. So when you're out there, even in sports where it's not necessarily physically demanding, uh, when you're on the golf course, what do you think is happening in the short game of golf? And I tell you, if your brain is not getting the, the fuel and you can't focus because you're hungry or you're dehydrated, you know, that's a nutrition problem. Let me lay out a specific scenario then. Let's say, uh, Dr. Guess, that there's an athlete who tears their left ACL, they come back, tear the right ACL, then they've got turf toe, then they've got elbow bursitis, right? And you would think that this is the most unlucky person in the world. I'm not necessarily a big believer in luck. So maybe you can convince me here that I'm wrong. But, you know, rather than saying that the, this person is snake bitten and they just have rotten luck, is there a part of you that is like me and thinks there there's something that this person is or is not doing that is really putting them at a higher risk for all of these injuries? And do you, as a dietitian, immediately gravitate toward diet first? Or going back to the training question, is it a question of, well, are they getting adequately stretched out? Are they doing too much? Mm-hmm. Where does your mind go with there? I would say it's multifactorial and I would say it would be very individual. Uh, so for one athlete, perhaps it's, it's a level of fitness. They're being asked to do too much that they're not ready for and they're not fit for it. Uh, perhaps it's age. Uh, it's coordination. Uh, you know, we know that, uh, during certain growing phases or even an athlete's, um, their mental maturity, uh, they're not ready for some types of training and some types of movements. And so we need that coach to be able to identify those athletes and and give them uh, extra training or different training uh, accordingly. Um, it definitely can come down to uh, uh, to nutrition because again, if you are ignoring that that post recovery or post-training meal, if you're not having a variety of foods, if you're not getting uh, all of your micronutrients. Uh, so nutrition is helping you recover your tissues, your connective tissues, your your ligaments, your tendons, um, keeping your bone health, uh, your bones strong, uh, keeping your, your muscles repairing through protein and other nutrients. So it's not just a matter of one or two nutrients or, you know, plant-based diet versus animal uh, diet. It's you know, it's these hundreds and and up to thousands of micronutrients. Are we feeding our body properly every day, allowing it to repair? So if I'm training on uh, legs that have not repaired uh, properly, if they're weak, if my muscles are are not being fed properly, um, then maybe some of those smaller supporting muscles are not going to hold my knee in place when I when I make that sharp turn. And so then an injury occurs. So I think everything is very interrelated and we can rarely pick out one specific cause. But, um, it, you know, rest and recovery can also be genetic. Uh, some need more time. Uh, but I think that frequency of protein intake throughout the day, so our body doesn't store protein, so try and consume protein uh, every three to four hours uh, at the minimum. And uh, again, a lot of those uh, plants, chemicals, which are providing the anti-inflammatory effects. So recall that I talked about range of motion and executing force. If you have inflammation, your muscles, your brain uh, to, to muscle pathway called the neuromuscular pathway, that's not as clear if you have inflammation because the pathway is is trying to control a muscle that is working differently if it's inflamed. So, you know, this can get down into very sort of more complex science, but, you know, we, we are um, creatures of habit and repetition. And so if I'm used to working a muscle that's not inflamed and then it is inflamed, perhaps I'm going to move differently. And some of these injuries are, can just be a very small change in a movement, uh, you know, landing wrong. And I'll come back to also the lack of focus and uh, physical fatigue. And that's also something that an athlete needs to be aware of uh, uh, with their own body, uh, have good body awareness, but we need the right coaching staff as well. You know, it's not just can't be this, this, um, you know, uh, just throwing out these athletes like it's a, it's a, um, you know, a a factory, you know, that we're just trying to 
uh, produce all of these clones. Like we need individual attention. And I think that's often overlooked. Dotsie, I would love to get you to weigh in on this as well. How did you know when your body was kind of hitting that wall and needed to take a pause, even though you're eating clean and you're doing all the right things? How did you know Mm -hmm. when you were kind of reaching your limit? Yeah, well, you know what? This is when the advantage of age came in to play. And <laughs> I, I, I saw it, uh, I mean, it really unfolded for us uh, at, the, at, the, at the Olympic Games in, in the semifinal ride. I, I think, you know, my, my teammates were 10 years my junior, but our competitors were 10 years their junior. So 20 years my junior, they were really young, you know, the 18, 19, 20 at the Olympics Games, the Great Britain team, the Australian team, the Kiwi team, the Canadians. And um, there, there's a, there, there's something that is so wonderful about aging and that is just your calm and your confidence and all the work that I had put in uh, mentally a, as an athlete. And we went to the Olympics, our team, you know, all of us a, a little bit older, all of us married, all of us, you know, having full lives and really being there knowing that we most likely weren't going to return. One of my teammates actually did return, but... um and really sinking into exactly what we were there to do and and had an incredible amount of calm, very devoted focus. And we saw that take place in that semifinal ride where we beat the Australians who were all 1920 um, by eight one hundredths of a second. We had never, ever beaten them, uh, their, their A-team in competition in any World Cup or World Championships. And it was it's what Nancy was talking about a, a, a little bit earlier, that that really important neuromuscular connection and the way that you approach the gate and the way that you approach the day, the way that you approach the night before. And because of that, because of that maturity and that deep belief in what we were out there to do, uh, we, we were able to come on top. It, it, it really can't, it, it can never be underestimated. It is, it is certainly not just a no sports are, are, are just, are just physical sports. I mean, that is, that actually might be the smallest aspect of being a professional athlete, your physicality. It's, it's all here and it's all here. And it has a lot to do with how you're managing your emotions on, on any given day or, or week or year. All right. I've got three more for you, too. And then I promise I'll, I'll let you run. Uh, but first, I want to say hi to Susan, uh, who just said, uh, I appreciate all of the information on a whole food plant based diet was needing some encouragement. Well, Susan, thanks for being here. Glad you're feeling encouraged. That's pretty cool. Also want to say hi to our 72 year old bodybuilding friend, Rich, who has been active in the chat once again this week, man. Rich is just an anomaly, 72 and lifting iron like he's 22. I love that guy. Nice. Um Nancy, I want to go back to you. Uh, You were talking a little bit ago about macro and micronutrients, and we get this a lot on the show, not necessarily just from athletes, but everybody here eating a plant-based diet. How can we make sure that we're getting everything that we need in our diet? Some people say it's as easy as eating the rainbow, but I would love to get your expert advice on this. Yeah, sure. Uh, I just also want to add uh, something I, I was thinking about when Dotsie was speaking uh, about uh, injuries and, and performance, also leanness. And we know that those who are following plant-based diets, uh, especially exclusively plant-based or vegan, have a lower BMI, lower body fat levels, and this is highly correlated with performance. So if you're carrying extra weight, that's not what we call functional or productive weight. So it's not muscle, you're not lean, you're carrying extra body fat, that can affect your movement and it can affect your agility and your uh, your efficiency with your movement. So we know that plant-based diets are are uh, a, a stronger case for keeping us uh, uh, lean and the body fat levels low. Um, now, as far as the, the macro and micronutrients, um, I think it, you, you want to focus on that rainbow, but also thinking of your three macronutrients, uh, your protein, your carbohydrates, and your fats. Now, our body can make saturated fats, so we don't need any coming from our diet at all. And this is not the case for other fats that are coming from plant sources. So saturated fats come from animals. We want as little as that as possible. As far as I'm concerned, they're empty calories because they don't enhance performance, they don't enhance health, and our body can make them from other fats. So your fats should focus on uh, 
plant sources, and these are going to come in the form of nuts and seeds or their oils. So if we have uh, uh, or avocados is one exception to that. But we have our almonds, almond oil, walnuts, walnut oil, olives, olive oil, uh, flax seeds, flaxseed oil, uh, pumpkin seeds, pumpkin oil, pumpkin seed oil. So uh, that, that really should be the focus. The source is coming from plants. You want to make sure you're getting your omega-3 fats. So this is going to, uh, again, be coming from hemp and pumpkin and walnuts. And that's easy to look up online, plant sources of omega-3s. If you want to uh, take a supplement, which many of my athletes would like that extra anti-inflammatory benefit, not fish oil, that would not be vegan, but you can uh, go for the uh, algal supplements coming from algae. That's, that's vegan friendly, a vegan friendly source of omega-3s. Uh, so get your fats out of the way there. Um, if you're, if you're limiting or avoiding animal foods, you should be good with regard to your fat choices, the sources from your diet. Now, protein again, if you look at uh, your legumes, you're getting carbohydrates and protein. So I would say trying to get beans, lentils, uh, tofu, tempeh, uh, so things coming from either a soy or a bean or a lentil, trying to get that at every meal. Uh, in the form of a plant milk, such as pea milk or soy milk, or in the whole food of soybeans, which could be tofu or edamame, your lentils, you could have a lentil soup. So very versatile. And again, the research tells us it does not matter if you are getting your uh, your protein from lentils or from chicken, your muscles are recovering and growing at the same rate. And that's really, really critical information. Now, carbohydrates, hands down, it's the rainbow. So just thinking of your, your white foods, that's your bananas, your pears, your potatoes, your garlic, your onions, lots of white foods, uh, you know, purple foods. We can go through that, that rainbow. Um, and then don't fear whole grains. Whole grains are problematic when you're having a supersized muffin, uh, of white refined flour. Sure, that comes from a grain, but that's not what we're recommending. And don't fear uh, the, 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 the macronutrient category of carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are an athlete's best friend, but don't think carbs equals candy and soda and donuts. Sure, those are carbohydrate foods. Those are not the ones we're talking about. We're talking about healthy, whole, uh, whole foods that are high in fiber, low in sugar, naturally. And if it's coming from the earth, it's going to be good for your body. And and one other addition, um, we talked about this a bit online through email, uh, we're seeing that the, the healthy bacteria in our soils that are connecting with our plant foods at the roots, and these bacteria and uh, the roots of plants um, have this little uh, environment called the rhizosphere, and they're benefiting each other. And we find that those similar bacteria are the same ones that benefit our gut health. So that sort of really brings home that concept of our planet to human connection and that sort of circle of life of how important it is that we keep the soil healthy, the plants that grow from that soil. We eat those plants and we benefit our own internal health and our gut health. And, you know, we also have our, our what we call our central, uh, uh, central nervous system, our second brain or our sixth sense. And that's coming from the gut, which has a, a separate central nervous system, which I encourage people to read up on. Super interesting. So, so bacteria is also our friend, but the right type of bacteria. Man, you just took us to school there, Dr. Guest. That was five <laughs> minutes of knowledge that you just dropped. That was a, that's a pipe bomb, as, yeah. uh, as I like to Don't say. Don't get that. me started. Well yeah. played. Uh, Dotsie, last question for you. And then I want to hear about uh, the Switch for Good Kids program. Um, but Ralph has a question at 1247, looking for some specific ideas on what he may want to eat. He says, great info today. What are specific meal and between meal suggestions that we can eat even for us that just work out every day? So not necessarily a competitive athlete. They just like to stay fit. Yes. Okay. Well, I am not a breakfast oatmeal person. For some reason, oh my if I have, God, you may be I'm the, the first only person vegan ever in planet. I know. I know. This it's 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 very true. I don't know what it is. 
But if I have oatmeal and some fruit on top, I am just ravenous in like 30 minutes. Like it just doesn't work for me. So I will do salad for breakfast. I did it this morning. Uh, but but something if you are, you know, active or if, or if maybe you're going to go, you know, on a run or a workout. Um, I love and th- this is this is in. Uh, the let the plant based vegan uh, playbook. It, there's 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 meal plans. Nancy wrote um, some for a uh, male weightlifter, and then I wrote some for a female endurance. So you can you can get all of these recipes. But one thing that I'm big on to do a sweet potato breakfast bowl. I, I love potatoes of every single kind, all colors. That's I, I eat them pretty much every day. So it's a sweet potato. You put a little bit of soy yogurt on there. You can do some some fruits, some blueberries, some raspberries, a little shredded coconut, hemp seeds, chia seeds, and some cinnamon. So it's kind of breakfasty and has a, a little bit of, of sweet to it and, and quite a bit of, of glycogen with the uh, blueberries and raspberries and the, and the yogurt. But then you've got real satiety, right, with the sweet potato and the hemp seeds and chia seeds. Um, I love uh, lentil soup of every kind, like Nancy was, was talking about earlier. Um, oftentimes for lunch, I'll do uh, big bowls. I call them good bowls. Um, and in the book, we have a Mediterranean good bowl, a noodle good bowl, um, all, all sorts of types. And that's literally just all vegans know it, right? The most giant bowl that you can find at the store. Usually it's the bowl that you make the salad for in for the family, but we eat out of that bowl. The, <laughs> that, and so it'll have, you know, maybe some, some rice at the bottom, some basmati rice, um, chickpeas, some arugula. Um, you might have some beets and some cucumbers. Love olives. Olives are a lot of times in, in all of the bowls. May or maybe some uh, non-dairy feta cheese or, or something fun like that. Um, two big scoops of hummus on top and then some nut seeds. I love pine nuts. I forgot to mention those. They're like really one of my favorite nuts. Um, and then you can do, you know, any type of uh, simple dressing you want. Tahini's probably my most favorite dipping uh, dip or dressing. And word to the wise, if you're getting off dairy, tahini has the most calcium pound for pound of, of, of anything. So just add some tahini drizzle on stuff and you're getting your calcium. Yo. Take that to the bank, man. And it's about lunchtime here. I'm about to go crush a big bowl. <laughs> and I had the biggest grin on my face when you're talking about the vegans eat out of these big salad bowls. Most people make them for the entire family. No, that's what we eat up. I got three bad boys like that that I have in yes. regular rotation for my bowls because there are days when I'll go through two of them, one for lunch, one for dinner. I'm not quite the breakfast salad person like you. I okay. still enjoy oatmeal with fruit um, in the morning. I don't know. Nancy, uh, are you team oatmeal in the morning? or where do you weigh in on this? This is the most important question of the entire interview. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, it depends it depends on the morning, but what I will say, uh, those that are going to do the oatmeal, make it with a plant milk instead of water and you're going to ramp up that protein. So uh, you can, and I would choose soy or pea. So again, soy and pea are equivalent, a great replacement for dairy because they're equivalent in grams of protein per cup. Uh, again, your fortified plant milks are offering everything that you will get from dairy. Dairy is not superior, of course, when it comes to planet and animal health. Uh, so soy and pea actually are legumes that are adding nitrogen to our soils. So excellent for the planet, uh, as well as for the human and, of course, cruelty free. Uh, and we, we have a new term we call slaughter free, having a, a slaughter free life or diet or environment. Um, and uh, so, but I will add um, one go-to I have for my athletes and for me, I make a baked tofu. So extra firm tofu uh, per cup is higher than beef, higher than chicken, higher than uh, fish, higher than eggs. We have this within the book. So you can get over 30 grams of protein in extra firm tofu. And what I like to do is bake it with a very simple recipe. It's just a a combination of three ste- or one tablespoon each of soy sauce, uh, cornstarch, and um, uh, oh my good olive oil, and uh, and this coats a whole package, fifty six grams of protein. But you can look at recipes online, and this baked tofu, I just have at my desk as a source of of of, uh, of, of protein, like of just uh, um, 
I, a high protein source that, that as a snack for my in-between meals, you can put that on a salad. Uh, you can really, it's so versatile and you can also uh, have sort of a sweeter version. So I also do it with peanut butter and uh, sprinkle some cinnamon on it, but there are dozens and dozens of different types of sauces that you could uh, stir this tofu in and then bake it for 15 minutes. And that's a real pure source of protein that I think every vegan uh, or plant-based athlete is going to feel very relaxed of getting that extra 30 grams or so of protein, um, easy and tasty. So, and I just, and I laugh about the tofu because I, I had stopped eating animal foods for, uh, geez, 25 years before I discovered tofu, which always, I had a fear. It's like, what is this white stuff? Now I can't live without it. So, um, you know, I'm yeah, tofu yeah. like three times a week. Nancy, Dr. Nancy Guest, you you will crack me up. I love you. Like, I'm so sorry it took five years to get you on this show. Like, <laughs> yes. I ask you if you eat oatmeal in the morning and then we get to a 25-year journey to now you're eating tofu. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, I, I definitely want to talk to you about veganic uh, farming practices, but we're fresh out of time here. So what I would love to do yes, before we wrap up is just extend this invitation for you to come back because this is something that not a lot of people understand. So um, let's put a pin in that and I would sure. love to bring you back and we'll dive into that. Uh, but Dotsie, so timely, so topical. You got to tell me what Switch for Good is up to in terms of this kids program. What are you guys announcing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, just not not just uh, athletes. So here's the book. And we got to get the um, the link in the chat somehow, Chuck, so that people can. can oh, it's buy already the there. It's, it's in Nancy the episode notes. It's right there. Don't you well, worry. Poor Nancy. She has the yeah. longest section in the playbook. So you'll be very, very happy with that. <laughs> um, but, you know, we just unraveling the lies that the dairy industry has been putting on athletes for so long. And I was definitely a part of that. The dairy industry was the title sponsor of the Olympic team the whole entire time that I was training at the Olympic training uh, facilities in Colorado Springs and Chula Vista. And dairy was very pushed on us. Same thing as we know happens to kids and families and, and pediatricians. And for so many decades, families have been taught that cow's milk is a essential component of a healthy diet. Um, yet dairy makes so many people sick for a variety of different reasons. And all of the nutrients that they're in cow's milk, because there are nutrients, I would hope so, it's for a growing baby calf, are readily available for other sources that are much better for humans. So the kids program, it's kidsandmilk.org. And it's, it's, it's kids and dairy symptoms. And it's a, it's a website and a resource. And we have all of these different resources for pediatricians, pediatric dietitians, um, dietitians that aren't even necessarily focused on kids that they can um, order. We've got big treatment room posters and we have um, flyers for also the the different rooms and, and videos, a whole educational program on the conditions and symptoms of, of all of the issues of, of, of cow's milk from anaphylaxic to allergies to lactose intolerance to just it making you inflamed and sick. And we have a whole section on nutrients, right? Like what are the nutrients that you need that are that they have said, oh, you need cow's milk for this, but you don't, you just need those nutrients. So what where are those in plants? We have a whole section on the pediatricians that we've partnered with for this program. And so all the experts are on there. The evidence most importantly that's probably going to be Nancy's favorite section. We have a whole section on evidence, right? So you just can go directly to the study studies if you want to geek out and then all the resources and page for parents. So it's just launching. The press release is going out tomorrow. So for anybody that needs help in that category. That's, that's awesome. What's the website again? What's the Kids, website? Uh, kidsandmilk.org. Ah, okay. Yep. Write that one down, kidsandmilk.org. And if you're listening to the podcast, that will be in the show notes as well. So scroll on down and click on that. That's just fantastic stuff. Um, I feel like, guys, there's so much more that we could talk about. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Guest, again, my apologies that it's taken so long to get you on the show. But I've been just enthralled with you for this past hour. And I, it just needs to happen again. End of story. It needs to happen again. Sounds good. Man, 
and did we ever cover a lot of ground today. And there's so much more in their book, you have to get your hands on a copy of it. Let the plant-based games begin, optimizing athletic performance with plant-based nutrition. There's a link to get your copy right now in the episode notes. Makes a great gift, by the way, for the athlete in your life. And Dotsie, of course, was featured in the groundbreaking documentary, The Game Changers. And the sequel to that is in the works. We don't have a whole lot of detail just yet. I understand that it's gonna be a little bit different than the original, but we are hoping to hear more about that in the coming months. And then maybe we can catch up with the star of The Game Changers, James Wilkes as well. So he can kind of clue us in on everything that they're up to for Game Changers. Too. And we're also going to be keeping a close eye on the Olympic Games coming up next year in Paris. And hopefully, we're going to be seeing a strong plant-based contingent of athletes competing there as well. Really put a spotlight on what it means to be a premium plant-based athlete. Get a bright spotlight. Shine it down. That would be really cool to get a lot of positive press there. And somebody also kind of like Dotsie, an Olympic athlete who's plant-based, had an enormous amount of success, is former Canadian figure skater Megan Duhamel. Had the opportunity to catch up with her earlier this year when we were both speaking together in Toronto. And she has an amazing blog where she shares her tips for staying fit with a plant-based diet and training and just some amazing recipe ideas as well. And the name of this blog is so good. Lots of greens figure skating pun lots of greens l-u-t-z of greens so if you get the opportunity to check that out i definitely highly recommend that and i wish that we had more time with dr guest today to get into veganic farming it is a really interesting topic and so i look forward to bringing her back to talk more about that in the future really didn't have any idea about what it was until she struck up the conversation and interestingly just about an hour or so after she introduced me to the idea of it for the first time i came across an announcement that was made by the university of oregon that they are studying the microbes of freshly grown produce at home versus the produce that is sold in stores. So what they want to know is the difference there and how it affects your microbiome and, in turn, your health. Because, really, you don't think about it, but we all take in millions of microbes every single day from the food that we eat. And it's true that some of them can cause disease, they can make you sick, but others definitely work to our benefit as well. They keep us healthy and they give the old immune system a little something, something to stay strong as well. So this is from the press release that the university sent out about this study. And they say that the veggies that you get in the supermarket have been through so much on their supply chain processing and previous studies suggests that they've lost much of the microbes that they started out with by the time they reach your kitchen. And this here is a quote from the lead researcher. And following that up, they say, but then they also have new microbes from being handled and being placed in storage. So you lose some and you gain some. But here's the thing. Whereas the fruits and vegetables you might grow at home or in a community garden near your house, they're also filled with microbes, but their journey to your plate is obviously much, much, much shorter. And not to mention that they're also going to be grown in an environment that is completely different, more than likely, than what is being sold in stores as well. Because your homegrown produce is likely to kind of be surrounded by a bunch of other things a bunch of different other fruits and vegetables or plants, but the produce, the fruits and vegetables that are sold in stores, I mean, they're really surrounded by their own. We're talking about rows and rows and rows as far as the eye can see of the same type of plant. And the lead researcher also picked up on that. Quote here, they say, I want to see if there's a vast difference, microbiologically speaking, between the garden and supermarket veggies. So that's what they're gonna be keying in on. Specifically, she wants to see whether those microbial differences can in turn impact a person's gut microbiome and their health. 
So what they're gonna do with this study is they're gonna get a bunch of people and they're just gonna ask them to eat some freshly grown produce and then also eat produce that has been purchased in the store. And so each participant is going to spend a week eating freshly grown produce from their own garden or a community garden nearby. And then another week eating a very similar diet, but using the supermarket produce. And then they're gonna collect fecal samples. They're gonna analyze them, do a little genetic sequencing to identify the microbes and the changes between the two from the fresh grown and the supermarket purchase. And what can we glean from that? And depending on the preliminary results, the researchers are already hoping to expand to a larger study in the future. So that's something to keep an eye on. And by the way, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in volunteering for, they're looking for volunteers. They call this the Garden Fresh Foods Study. That's an appropriate name, the Garden Fresh Foods Study. And you can see if you're a good candidate for that at gffstudy.com, gffstudy.com. So think Garden Fresh Foods Study, gffstudy.com, if you want to sign up. And one more housekeeping thing for you today, and that is that tickets are on sale right now for our next big exam room live and in person. This one is a night honoring the legendary Esselstyn family for their immeasurable contributions to make the world a healthier place. Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, his wife Anne, Jane Esselstyn, and of course from Plant Strong, Rip Esselstyn, will all be in the house that night with Dr. Neil Barnard and I. We're going to be looking back at their lifetime of work and forward to how that work is creating a healthier future for us all. What is on the plant-based horizon? Can't wait for it. November 7th in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club. Would love for you to join us. Get your tickets right now, pcrm.org slash events, or click the link in the episode notes to reserve your seat today. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Dotsie Bausch from Switch for Good and Dr. Nancy Guest for being here and raising our athletic health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.